Hi, everyone, and welcome to a new edition of the OPC Foundation podcast, the home of industrial interoperability. My name is Peter Seberg, and I'm your host. Today, we'll talk to Bob Hagenau. He's the CEO of Cplane.ai about COPA, the Coalition for Open Process Automation. Bob will tell us what a COPA is, what a role he plays in it, and how it all fits together with OPC UA. Hi, Bob. How are you? Good. Thanks for having me on, Peter. Bob, please introduce yourself and your company to our listeners and tell us about your involvement to date with OPC Technology and the OPC Foundation. Um, my name is Bob Hagen. As you said, I'm CEO of Cplane.ai, and we founded um, and lead the Coalition for Open Process Automation. We do that along with Don Bartusiak's company, which is a company called CSI. Don is kind of the father of open process automation. He was at ExxonMobil. He was a chief engineer at ExxonMobil when ExxonMobil really started the, the gathering people to create a standard for open process automation. And uh, in 2020, he left uh, ExxonMobil to start his own company, CSI. And we were talking. And one of the things both of us had been hearing is uh, this was in end of 2020. And we were hearing from many of the open process automation members, uh, a lot of the largest global process manufacturers in the world. Uh, they were saying, hey, our execs are bought into open process automation. We're really excited about the value it's going to bring. Where do we buy one? And the reality was there was no place to go buy one because by definition, mm. uh, an open process automation system includes uh, is, a, is a multi-vendor system and, and includes components from many, many vendors. Uh, so we realized, as Don and I were talking, we realized the need for a coalition to be formed to build these systems based on the standard. OPATH is a group of these same end users that are spearheading the creation of this standard but they can't, by, by definition of their charter, can't actually create commercial products. So there needed to be a similar group of suppliers that would come together and actually start to build these systems. And so that's what we did in, in end of 2020. Uh, it's not a marketing coalition. This is primarily a technical collaboration, a product mm -hmm. collaboration between these companies. And we have some of the largest IT and OT companies in the world. We have Phoenix Contact, Intel, Wood, Inductive Automation, Stahl, Codasys, Uh, SMAR, Yokogawa, CSI, and Seaplane, of course. Uh, and we're growing that. We're adding four more in the next month. So it is uh, a group of leading ITOT industrial suppliers that uh, are coming together and building these systems and making them available commercially. Sounds great, bringing IT and OT together. And um, yes, uh, great to hear. I, uh, I did an interview with Don, Don Bertuziak, about the Open Process Automation Forum. And uh, interested listeners may want to go back and uh, listen to that episode. So thanks for introducing COPA. Sounds a bit like COPA Cabana, <laughs> except for the Cabana part. Then tell us, what is your role with COPA? Yeah, so... Cplane and CSI were the founders, and, and Cplane really leads uh, COPA. We act as a subsystems integrator that's bringing all of this technology together. So I, I kind of described that it's a technology collaboration. So let me give you some examples. You know, right now we're having calls uh, on a regular basis with several of the engineers from different companies that are working collaboratively to, to bring the system together. So Phoenix Contact, Stahl, Codasys, Quest Global, Cplane are on weekly calls and 
and you know because it's a global uh, coalition you know i know our cto's on on calls uh, every week at 11 p.m. our time and others from other regions are on very early in the morning and what they're doing is they're collaborating and testing and debugging and this specific group of companies is debugging their OPC UA integration, right? They're actually right. Uh, uh, implementing some of the leading edge OPC UA capabilities like GDS servers and things like that to, to really make these COPA systems really interchangeable and interoperable the way customers want it, as, as well as a lot of other capabilities that OPC UA brings. Very good. Uh, so now we know what you do, at least a part of maybe what you do. Maybe you tell us what does your company Seaplane do? Yeah, so let me tell you a little bit about Seaplane. So we're an enterprise software company that provides systems management and orchestration software. You know, as the open process automation standard was being defined, a lot of the end users were saying, hey, this is great, but, you know, how is this all going to hang together as, as a system, right? We've got all these different multi-vendor components, but I need a system that is as tightly integrated as the the incumbent DCS vendor software that I have today. Um, how is this going to work? So really the secret to that is that it's the systems management and orchestration software. And that's built on top of kind of modern IT uh, and cloud architectures, which allows us to do uh, bring in multiple components from multiple vendors and create a, a cohesive system, a complex system that preserves the critical aspects of an industrial system like reliability and safety and uh, full full availability all, t all the time. So uh, we play a critical role in kind of acting as the glue that brings all that together. I, I, sometimes I refer to what we do as kind of the operating system of this industrial control system, these open control systems. David Dabari on mobile sometimes says, uh, we provide the software that brings systemness to a multi-vendor system. So that's that's what we do. And uh, we have been working with all of these different vendors to bring this together Uh, into a cohesive, reliable, safe, uh, and high-performing system at a low cost. Did I see correctly that your uh, company name has a .ai extension? And if correct, does that have any specific meaning? Yeah, so our, the name of our company, Seaplane, actually stands, it's a term that came out of the telecommunications industry, which is a lot of our, our background is from telecommunications, where you're managing complex networks of telecommunication equipment that is distributed across the world. And though, you know, a refinery doesn't have distributed components across the world, it is still a distributed system. Uh, and so control planes still play a big part in uh, how you're going to actually knit all of this together and manage this cohesively. So C-Plane stands for control plane, and the .ai stands for the intelligence that can be put into this to manage this in, a, in a, an intelligent, effective way, again, to do things like self-healing of, uh, of the system if there's a failure with still high availability. Things like that can happen with the intelligence that's built into our product. Right. That's kind of what I had understood the .ai extension, the intelligence to be representing. So you already referred to um, distributed control. So how does a COPA system then compare with a traditional DCS for those that do not know distributed control system? Well, it uh, it provides all the capabilities of a distributed control system as Many of your end users may are, are probably using, and, mm -hmm. and many of your listeners are aware of. 
Um, so it's it provides all the capabilities of a distributed control system, but it adds uh, some capabilities that are not there. So one of the main reasons why ExxonMobil and you know all of the 25 global process control companies or process uh, manufacturing companies came together and formed uh, Open Process Automation Standard is that they they wanted to get away from the vendor lock-in. As you know, today you you buy a DCS system and you you're locked into that DCS system and that vendor's capabilities and products for the for the lifetime of the system basically. And they you know they were feeling quite honestly that they were being held hostage both financially and technically in that process. So one of their main goals was we want to get away from vendor lock-in. So uh, these open process automation system, a COPA system, number one is there's no vendor lock-in. And it's something you can continuously upgrade and evolve so that it's not a rip and replace at the end of the, the lifetime. There is no end of lifetime. You can continue to evolve this on an ongoing basis. So you don't have to have a lifetime of the that has to have a rip and replace at the end. And I'll talk a little bit more about how OPCUA is one of the key enablers there on that. But let me just say, no vendor lock-in. It's a fraction of the cost. It's because you're using common off-the-shelf capabilities and technology, plus the ability to automate things highly really reduces the cost, especially the not only the, the total cost, but the initial implementation cost as well. Um, it has extensive systems automation. You can insert new technologies as they become available. So advanced control strategies, for instance. So one of the things we've been demonstrating is fast cycle time MPC, which is running at a one second cycle uh, as mm-hmm. opposed to the traditional one to five minute cycles. And when you can do that, you can add a lot more efficiency. And then the last one I'll mention is uh, cybersecurity. Uh, cybersecurity is integrated in with these systems tightly. It's not an afterthought. From day one, it's built in and allows for you to have, I think, the most secure industrial control systems available. Very good. You mentioned a couple of uh, features there that the listener will have uh, recognized as features also of OPC UA. So bring me to, brings me to the next question. What role then does OPC UA play in COPA systems? OPC UA plays a critical role in these systems. Uh, we're using, you know, OPC UA from, from top to bottom of these systems, from the IO all the way up to the HMI for communications. And that delivers some of the most critical capabilities in these systems, which is the interchangeability and the interoperability of the components in support of a multi-vendor system. So that's really, really important. Um, again, that's kind of what leads to no vendor lock-in and you know, no more rip and replace. But it also uh, is foundational for the security of the system. So as you know, OPCUA has built-in authentication, encryption, uh, authorization built right into it. Uh, it also uh, contributes to the flexibility of managing the system. With OPCUA GDS, it allows for dynamic IP addresses so that the application and function blocks don't have to be tightly bound to a specific device or a specific IP address. They can be more dynamic, which gives you you know, flexibility to quickly respond to cyber threats, self-heal after failure, uh, provide on-process process software patches and updates. Those kinds of things are available because of that. And then OPCUA, the last thing I'll say is just the open data accessibility um, that is critical for driving a lot of the next generation analytics and advanced control applications, AI, MPC, all of that 
uh, is that data is available to start to do some really revolutionary things. And uh, OPCUA is foundational to that. Sounds great. Uh, it, <laughs> of course, it is really great to hear you uh, kind of list up uh, all these great features that you as an organization, you as individuals, but also as an organization, I guess, have um, have recognized and which brings you to the conclusion that you uh, use UPCUA from top to bottom. So what then, if any, barriers uh, to adoption exist? Yeah, Well, you know, the Open Process Automation Forum has been working on this standard for about six years now. And uh, last year, they came out with the third version of the standard, which was the first version of the standard that you could really build uh, an operational system on. Um, and that's really was the, again, part of the genesis of COPA is, hey, we can build a system. Let's do this. And I think a lot of people were asking, hey, you know, can this really work, right? There's, you know, I, I see this you know, the stack of papers that uh, contain this this standard, but can you really build a system out of that? And so that's what we've demonstrated is that not only can this work, we've demonstrated like advanced capabilities, like advanced control capabilities, cybersecurity, like with our work with Intel that shows that you can actually verify whether a device is trusted or not uh, on an ongoing basis and monitor that. Uh, advanced capabilities um, in a variety of different ways, as well as lower cost of ownership. We just did a proposal for a renewable natural gas project that uh, the cost of an open process automation system came in at less than 50% of the cost of a traditional incumbent DCS solution that solves the same problem. So the cost is significant. So we're actually building these systems. We're demonstrating that the value that we've been talking about in OPATH is actually there and attainable. So that's really uh, knocking, I would say, the number one barrier to adoption down is seeing is believing, right? The second one I would say is a lot of questions we hear from end users is, well, who's going to take responsibility for the systems? You know, there's multiple vendors that are involved in this. Who do we call if something goes wrong? You know, OPATH did a lot of thinking about that. And not only has OPATH thought about the technology, but how's the ecosystem going to evolve in order to support open process automation? One of the things that they uh, really specified is that the systems integrators will expand their role within these, uh, the implementations and operation of these systems. Uh, and specifically, the systems integrator would take the responsibility for the performance of these systems on an ongoing basis. And that was, again, all on paper, but recently that became a reality. Wood, at the recent ARC forum in the United States, announced mm -hmm. that they are creating a center of excellence around COPA. And as a global systems integrator, they will take primary responsibility for the performance of the system over its lifetime. And uh, for, you know, Wood is the largest uh, independent systems integrator in the world. For them to step up and say that, that is a huge Uh, step forward in the evolution, not only of the technology, but of the ecosystem that's going to support this. So there's a tremendous amount of, uh, so the, the barriers to adoption are getting knocked down, basically. Sounds good. And the momentum is really built over the last, over the last year, tremendous momentum is built and we're seeing it adoption now. Okay, and you've shown that those kind of systems actually are uh, possible, that you've, 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 moved from theory to praxis, so to say. Absolutely. So uh, where you say that cost has come down 50% uh, in, in relation to the traditional uh, incumbent DCS providers, I mean, will the incumbent 
DCS providers still be interested in building systems based on COPA as well? Well, you know, that's an interesting question. I, I You know, there are... Uh, uh, many of the traditional DCS vendors are a part of OPATH, and I and the, the representatives from those companies. I really uh, they're, they're very excited about OPATH, but there is a challenge that these companies face. And, and, and I'm in Silicon Valley, and, and the mm. the challenge that we, we that's named is it's called the innovators dilemma, which is that the leading incumbents, when there's a major transition like this in a market, the incumbents have a lot to lose, right? So as this transition happens, kind of the winners and the losers, who's going to be the key vendors and who's going to be winning and taking the revenue, so to speak, will change. And that is something that is threatening, basically, to the mm-hmm. current incumbent DCS vendors. So, you know, there's people within uh, these incumbent DCS vendors that are like, yes, this is the way to go forward. But the challenge is, and I've worked in some of these big companies, the challenge is there's also a large group that's saying, yeah, but what is that, what's going to happen to our revenue if we try to do this? And so uh, it's, it's difficult for them. And um, right now, they're not building, no one's really building, none of the big DCS vendors are building open process automation systems. And it's not because it's beyond their technology re- uh, capabilities. It's really a much more kind of a... Uh, a difficult situation for them to decide because of what it does to their business and their revenue and how they compete. So, It's interesting that you refer to the innovators' uh, dilemmas from Christensen, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, yes. Yeah, I've read him. I've actually met him. I did spend oh, some yes. time in the Valley as well. And at that time, it was uh, our, at that time, CEO, um, Intel, uh, Andy Grove. He worked very closely yeah. with him. And he would always hold uh, Christensen, his ideas, uh, up in front of us, you know, and tell us exactly the story that you yeah. are now sharing um, with our listeners as well. So I just wanted to refer to that well, for those listeners yeah. uh, interested in the background of what you just mentioned there. And there's, so, a lot, there's a lot of companies that have been, you know, industry leaders that have fallen prey to this uh, innovator's dilemma. I mean, Kodak is an example or exactly. DEC or a, there's been computer companies, you know, along the way as well that as a transition happened, it was just. It wasn't that they weren't technically capable. It it was the. It was really the difficulty of making the tough decisions that might affect the current capability or current revenue streams of the company. Right, and, and even within the technology, right? You know, here in Europe, we think of Nokia, for example. Right, we were the number yeah, one ten yes. years ago, fifty years ago, and then Apple came with their smartphone. And you know, Nokia is back to doing, I believe, rubber gloves or something. Yes, and the DCS vendors have the same dilemma. Exactly. So how do companies then uh, get started with uh, COPA? Well, there's two ways to get started and that we've seen different companies want. So um, there's some companies and users that really want to have kind of a hands-on experience. They want to get, they want to understand the technology. They want to touch the technology, understand it better before they actually start to step into production systems. And so uh, what we do is we, we are currently offering a product called Copa Quick Start, which is a operational open process automation system that is running a uh, fired heater application across probably five different hardware uh, vendor devices and probably six different software vendor devices or components. And so it's it's a working open process automation system that you can get your hands on and start to experience the value of it. Uh, and we, along with that, we're packaging 
about 50 hours of training and education with that. Mm -hmm. So we have kind of some overview classes and uh, some executive sessions that the executives can come up to speed on this and see it demonstrated. Uh, You can train all of your process control engineers with a high-level overview. And then a select number of process control engineers will actually go through some hands-on labs, about 40 hours of hands-on labs, where they get to really experience it and understand how is this going to benefit their business and how do they need to think about kind of uh, changing their business as well related to this. Um, so they can get started with Copa Quick Start. That's the number one way. Uh, Equinor uh, recently announced on stage that they have purchased Copa Quick Start, which for uh, Copa is a huge um, kind of avocation of, mm-hmm. of Copa Quick Start because Equinor is uh, one of the most innovative energy companies in the world, right? They're the first ones to do an unmanned um, oil platform, deep sea oil platform. They were the first ones to do floating turbines, wind turbines. You know, they're, they're doing a lot of really innovative things. Uh, and the fact that they are choosing COPA as a part of their open process automation journey has been terrific. We're really excited about partnering with them. So that's COPA Quick Start. Let me kind of move on to the second one. But the other one is that we're seeing some companies are like, okay, well, we see ExxonMobil moving forward with this. We see Equinor moving forward with it. We see enough companies moving forward with it so that we'd like to just jump directly to a small production deployment of this and test it that way and work with it that way and understand it that way. And so, for instance, we're working with Wood and recently put in a proposal for production deployment uh, for uh, Renewable Natural Gas Initiative. Uh, so there are things that we're doing that actually will move directly into production deployments as well. So those are the two paths that companies have. And depending on what their cultures are and what their choices are, they can choose either one of those. Interested listeners in one or the other, uh, where would you suggest they go to? Is there a URL that you have for them or a place to go to? Yeah, the, probably the best way to contact us and, and start this journey would be to uh, go to the website copacontrol.org. So okay. it's C-O-P-A-C-O-N-T-R-O-L.org. Uh, and we've got contact. There's an email there that they can uh, contact us through. Okay, we'll put that in the uh, in the podcast notes as well. Great. Terrific. So we're getting to the end. Any concluding remarks you may want to make? Understand um, those uh, listeners visiting the Achema uh, exhibition will be yeah. able to uh, see a demo by you. Yeah, absolutely. So we are actually in the OPC Foundation booth at Akama, mm-hmm. uh, and we will have a live demonstration unit there in in the booth that will be demonstrating uh, open process automation live. It'll have that fired heater control application that I mentioned before. We're simulating the equipment input, but it's running all over OPC UA, and so. You know, seeing is believing. We'll have a series of different demonstrations in the booth. Uh, we'd love to have you guys come by and see it and talk to us a little bit about it. That's a great, great way to get started uh, if you're going to be at Akamo. Um, but I think one of the main things, just in conclusion, that I would say is that a lot of companies are aware of the open process automation standard because it's been in development for so many years. But I think that the message today is it's not just a, a standard that's in development. It's a deployed standard now. And it's something you can you should start to consider for any new projects that you're doing, whether it's greenfield or brownfield projects. This is something you should be evaluating because it's going to be the future. It's uh, going to revolutionize control systems over the next couple of years. And you don't want to get stuck with a 
traditional DCS system where you're locked in for the next 20 and you can't consider it, you know, you right. kind of taking the wrong term. Now you got to wait for another 20 years before you can make a change on that. So any new projects, I would really encourage folks to, to get started evaluating this now. It's really also the foundation for digital transformation in Industry 4.0. So a lot of the things that the industry has been talking about require kind of access and integration of new technologies into the control system. And that's only possible with an open control system. It's very difficult to do, put in third-party technologies or anything else into these uh, traditional DCS systems. Bob, thank you very much for sharing this very detailed uh, knowledge experience with regards to the COPA Coalition for Open Process Automation. Yeah, those uh, listeners that are going to be around in Frankfurt, I looked, it's going to be in August 22 to 26. Is that correct, Bob? That's right, yeah. Uh, in Frankfurt, uh, will be able to meet directly with you. You're going to be there yourself, Bob? Or? That's right. I'll be there. Don Bartusiak will be there. So, uh, and we'll have other COPA members also uh, in available in the booth to talk to. So those of you that hadn't decided not yet to go there, now you have a very good reason uh, to be to be going there and to see the deployed standard uh, COPA uh, in action. Yeah, if you're the listener want to learn more about OPC UA technology or about the OPC Foundation, you may want to listen to the preceding OPC Foundation podcast editions or visit the website at opcfoundation.org. The uh, other one we had already just referred to, those of you that will not be going to Achima, we said copacontrol.org. We'll put it in the podcast notes. Uh, if you have a proposal for topics or interested in appearing on the OPC Foundation podcast, maybe you want to join one of the OPC UA companion specification working groups or Maybe you want to become a member of the OPC Foundation or otherwise, please mail the OPC Foundation at office at opcfoundation.org. Uh, in future editions, I will be doing interviews with guests from General Electric, the University of Applied Science in Hanover and Procter Gamble about OPC way for pumps, about one semantic harmonized energy interface and about standardized data delivery. It was great to have you with us today. If you liked what you heard, give us a thumbs up, spread the news. I'm looking forward to have you with us again. And Bob, thank you very much for having been my guest today. Absolutely, Peter. It's been a delight. Thanks. Thank you. Bye-bye.